Okay, well, let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew in chapter number 13. So let's stand in honor of God's word here this morning. Again, it is good to have guests. We have so many guests from out of town as well as some uh, right here from the metro. We're really glad that each and every one of you are here and, and um, get to be a part of the service and fellowship and uh, good to see the Smiths back. Brother W.L., Miss Lucy Smith had been uh, down with their health and their back today. That's a real blessing, preacher. Good to see you and glad about that and everyone else that's here as well. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 13. God willing, we'll finish out this chapter. This is the, uh, this is the fifth sermon out of chapter 13. And so um, coming into it, I had no idea how many sermons would come out of chapter 13. But to do it justice, I thought, well, let's slow it down and just really pay attention to it. I've really enjoyed it. You know, just studying the parables that Jesus or that was he was giving um, about the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to, God willing, finish that out here this morning. Okay, so let's look at Matthew chapter number 13, beginning in verse number 47. So Matthew 13 and verse 47. <clears throat> Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered, notice this, of every kind. The net is drawn and it gathers of every kind. Which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. Jesus says in verse 49, he makes application to this, so shall it be at the end of the world. All right, now that's the second time he's mentioned that, if, if not more, even in this chapter, verse 40, if you just glance over it, in the wheat and the tares parable, he says, so shall it be in the end of this world. So evidently, things aren't just going to continue as they always have been. There is an end. And so Jesus is giving a very sobering parable, but one that we certainly ought to pay attention to. All right, let me keep reading here, verse 30, 49. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the rich from the poor, the intelligent from the non-intelligent. No, it says the wicked from among the just. Only two classes of people in the earth. The wicked and the just. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. That'd be the wicked. And Jesus says, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 51. Jesus saith unto them, have you understood all these things? <laughs> Let me ask you this morning. Have you understood all these things? <laughs> Maybe we'd say with the disciples, yay, Lord. In other words, yes. Yes. Huh? <laughs> I wonder how confidently they said that. Yay, Lord. Said they did. Then said he unto them, therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things, watch this, new and old. I've never paid attention to this parable. I mean, I have getting ready for it today, but I mean, 
prior to that, hadn't really paid attention to it. All right, let's finish it out here. Verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogues, in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Notice verse 57. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And notice the result, verse 58. And he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. So I realize, I mean, truly, we could, we could just take time and spend on all three of these sections independently or individually. But I, I, as I began to study, and I'm, not, and I'm not in a hurry, I'm not just trying to finish up chapter 13 so we can move on to 14, but I'm seeing a common theme here, and I'm, you're probably going to catch it even in the title of today's message, and here it is. Don't miss who Jesus is. Don't miss who Jesus is. For your own good, don't miss. Everybody here, don't miss who Jesus is. So let's pray that God would help us not to miss who Jesus is. Father, um, it'd be easy to assume that we, um, that we understand it, but, but God, I pray you'd help us right here. I pray that everybody would tune in. Lord, I know that every service that we have opportunity to preach, that there's a mixture of listeners in the congregation. And, and I pray today that, Lord, through your supernatural work of the Holy Spirit using the word, that you would arrest the attention of someone that's at a crossroads of life. And those that are on the right path, I pray you just encourage them. But those that, God, need to pause, need to stop, God, would you help them not to move on in their minds here this morning to the next thing of the day? God, would you help them just to pay good attention? And Lord, I, I'm asking for your help to preach to, today because I know that in me that, that I, I am not able to do so. And I just need your help at all times. And so I just pray that you'd help at this very hour, this very junction this juncture of life, dear God, as we come to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's consider this together here this morning. <clears throat> you might remember or recall that our study of chapter 13, we began and, and uh, made comment that this, is, this chapter in the study of the Gospel of Matthew is a hinge chapter to the book. I mean, it, it literally is in about the middle of the book. Uh, and it is really the hinge chapter, meaning this, Matthew has been presenting exactly who Jesus is, what he said and what he did. And as he did that, then people, many believed and then others, others were skeptical. In fact, 
were in a section, it closed out chapter 12 and it was making clear that, that actually not only is it just that they were in unbelief, but they were actively opposing him and even saying that he, he cast out, you know, this demon by the power of Beelzebub. And so, I mean, there's, there's serious opposition that is coming here. And so we're, we're at that transitional point in Matthew's gospel. And, and as we venture further, we're going to see, we're going to see that the opposition to Jesus would, is only going to escalate as we go along. So he's been teaching them about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, synonymous terms as you look at Matthew and Mark. And, and, um, and you see that Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom, what he calls the kingdom of heaven. And, and a few messages ago, we went into why I refer to it that way. So I'm not going to take the time here today to, to deal with that. But he's talking about those that would be true believers and then those that would be professed believers and then those that would just be lost. And, and, and by the way, he's not talking here, even as he talks about the net that is drawn, he's not talking about work just within the church. It's broader than that. The field, he said, as he gave the parable of the sower that went out to sow the seed and it fell among four different types of soil, the field is the world. Okay? And, and he said that a, a, an owner went out and sowed Wheat. And while he went out and sowed wheat, that an enemy came and sowed tares, which would be weeds. It looked a lot like wheat, uh, at least in its initial stages. But at the end, you could tell, okay, that's wheat and that's weed because wheat has fruit. Weeds, weeds do not have fruit. Okay, but that was in the context of the world. Now, now watch this. What's going on in the world at large has resemblance to what's going on at times within the church as well because we're a part of that whole, the whole world as it stands at this current time. So it certainly is highlighting as Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching those that would hear about the need to have the right response and, and the right response to the person of Jesus Christ and to his sayings. And he's drawing us, he's drawing you into a relation with him. These seven parables are intending to do that. Now, one of the key things that the parables would do would be this. It will separate, listen, listen to this next statement very, very carefully here. It would separate the crowd from the disciples. All right. It would separate the crowd from the disciples. So let me ask you today, are you part of the crowd or are you one of his disciples? Okay, I'm not going to move on until you really think about that. You're saying, how long are you going to wait till I think about that? I really want you to think about that because, you know, it'd be easy for you to hear today and even for many years to be part of the church crowd, but not one of his disciples. I'm letting you think about it. Some of you have had the privilege of being raised at the church and that is a privilege and I mean that. And you've heard countless messages, but it is easy to go through message after message and not be his disciple. And maybe even not be saved, not be born again. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to cause anybody today to in any wise with what I'm doing to cause you to doubt your salvation because God doesn't want us to doubt salvation. Now, if you're not saved, you really need to consider this today. Of course, you know, you need to know number one, that you're saved. But just because you're saved does not mean that you're his disciple. Because the disciple is one who wants to learn and not just is one who wants to learn, but wants to take what he or she has learned and apply it 
and that they're eager about it. I, I just had a conversation with a gentleman that grew up in church and, and, and it's very easy to be in church and maybe even get out of church, but thank God God helps us get back in church. Aren't you glad for that? And, but uh, I'm thankful that regardless of what stage you are in life that re and regardless of what your age is, I mean, you may be 80 years old and maybe all your life been in church, but maybe just recently this has started really making sense to you. And, and maybe there's now a hunger there for that. See, and, and I think God uses a lot of different things to get your attention. And it's a lot better to give his, him your attention now rather than later. I mean, this would be a prime time. For you to say, you know, I'm going to stop just attending church and I'm going to start tuning in. I'll never forget when that happened in my life as a teenager because I used to just attend church. But then I actually started listening to what Brother Carson was preaching. And, and it really got interesting. And I mean, prior to that, it wasn't interesting. And it wasn't on him as a preacher. That was on me as a young person. But my mom had, was faithful to keep me in church. But I remember sitting there and, and I mean, doing all kinds of things to entertain myself, you know. And one time I had my pen and I, I didn't realize it was on and I was just kind of going my pen like that on my leg and, you know, in a circle motion. You ever, I mean, you're just bored. You're just doing something to do something. Look down and man, there's a bullseye right around my knee because my pen was on and it was a light colored pair of pants. I mean, that's not good, right? I was attending church, but I wasn't really a disciple and it marked me. <laughs> you know, I, I, every week, I, I mean, I, I come here with the burden and a passion. Anybody, anybody that preaches understands this. You want everybody to listen. And it's not just, it's not because it's you, but it's because it's the word. And it's because of Jesus Christ. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He, he said, I want to preach so that even a blind man looks at me. I love that. And in fact, sometimes I find people that aren't listening and it's a, like a challenge. I'm going to get them. <laughs> find somebody nodding off. I'm going to wake them up. And again, it's not because I want you to listen to me as a person, but no, it's, it's so much bigger than that. You've, you've got to have a relationship with God here. And so Jesus was separating the, the crowd from the disciples and he's using these parables to really help them to, to understand. I think his disciples understand, listen, not everybody's going to be a believer. Some people are going to pose as believers and they're really not. Some are going to oppose you actively and some they're just going to doodle on their knee <laughs> unknowingly. They're going to be more interested on their phone. At virtually every service, I'm spotting people that are on their phone. I hope you're looking at your Bible, but it'd be better for you to bring a Bible than a phone. Because you might be tempted just to see what the score is on the game and come back to your Bible. Huh? All right, I'm asking you, are, part, are you part of the crowd or are you part of a disciple? Are you a disciple? Are you part of a crowd? Are you, are you saved? Or have you been here all these years and you're lost? And if you're saved, then you are, are you a disciple or are you just here as a church attender? Because there's a distinction. And these are serious matters that really ought to, I mean, anything in the word of God preached ought to have our attention undividedly. You know, to say, man, that, that, that's so right. I need that. I need that today. I need that today because that's God's word to me today. And so he gives two more, two more parables that I want you to think about. And he wanted us to think about. One is about a net that's cast into the sea and draws in. The other is about a scribe. And then he goes to his hometown, all right? So we're, we're going to consider that. But in all three cases, in every, three, every situation, they're missing who Jesus is. 
And it had the first one that is mentioned. If you, I want you to get this. If, if you miss who Jesus is, that has eternal consequences. The Lord says that, that they took a, a net and they cast it into the, into the sea and they drew. All right, now, most of my fishing has been crappie fishing growing up. And, you know, you got even sometimes a cane pole and you're right by a, a pier. You're right by a, a stick up and you're drawing out them minnows. I'm drawing out them, them uh, sorry, the, those crappie with, with minnows or, or whatever you're using. You know, that's the fishing I did. But in Bible times, what they would do is they'd take this net. It had a rope across the top and it had weights in at the bottom so that as they threw it out, then it would go vertical. And then they would begin to draw that in. And so it would take in all kinds of fish, large and small. I actually, in Brazil, I got to do this. I went out in a canoe with uh, one of the national men. They literally lived basically in a treehouse with hammocks and everything. It was awesome. <laughs> but while we were there, we were checking his net. Now, he had the net uh, uh, brought across. In fact, they would do this in the Bible times. They would put it either between two boats or they'd anchor it to the shore. And then the boat would go out and they'd drop down the net. And then they'd work in a semicircle to bring in whatever was there. All right, so he had this stretch across a part of the, basically the river. We were on one of the tributaries of the Amazon. And uh, so he was bringing in all kinds of fish and most of them were piranha. That got my attention. You certainly don't lip those, you know, and, and I mean, he, I mean, big piranhas and small piranhas and, and I'm glad he knew what he was doing. And I'll tell you nothing. I was real glad about that boat didn't capsize. I was real thrilled about that, you know, but that's what we were doing. We were gathering in and he got him out of the net. I mean, it was, it was, it was old school fishing. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he says, here's what happens. The net is cast out and it draws every kind, every kind. Now, what that is teaching us is the universality of God's judgment on man. Every man, every race, every tribe, every tongue, every, let me make it real personal where you are today. Every one of you here today will someday stand before God. That's what the parable is teaching. And, and the focus of this one is different than the wheat and the tares. There's a lot of similarity between the wheat and the tares because you have wheat and tares growing together. Here you have good fish and bad fish in the same net. But, but the wheat and the tares is focused on the time leading up to the end of the judgment. This one is focused on the in judgment itself and the angels that go out and they gather all the people of the earth. And listen, today, you're either going to stand at the great white throne judgment, which is for the lost, or at the behemoth or at the, the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ for the saved. Listen, but regardless, everybody here is going to stand before God. And you need to understand that you're either standing before God, even right now, you're either wicked or righteous. You're either, I'll use the term that's in the word right here. You're either considered by God wicked or just. You say, preacher, aren't we all wicked? Aren't we all sinners? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. Did you hear that? The Bible says there's none righteous. There's none just. There's none just. You say, well, how can I then be considered just? The word just is a, is a synonymous term. With, in fact, it is the same root word as righteous. How can I be considered righteous? Not by your self-justification, not by your good works. I read this past week, Romans, the book of Romans. What a great read. If today you want to understand salvation, read the book of Romans. The book of Romans, therefore being justified, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
Hey, listen, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter three and verse number 28. We're justified. Listen, we are just as if we never sinned, somebody said. In other words, we are declared righteous by God and treated as so. And so that at the end of time, there will be those that will stand before God who are righteous but not in their own righteousness, but the righteousness which is given to them by Jesus Christ. Are you listening to this this morning? So I ask you today, if you stood before God right now, if you stood right now before God, would you be considered guilty or innocent? Oh, well, I'm asking you if you've been born again. I'm asking you if you've been saved. If you've been saved, born again, then you can say, I stand before him innocent, not because I'm not a sinner, but because Jesus is not a sinner and his righteousness has been credited to my bankrupt account. And therefore, I, I told somebody this week, I know for sure if I die today, I'd go to heaven. And that's not because of me, but that's because of him. Amen. The wicked, the wicked are still in their wickedness. The wicked are still in their unrighteousness because they have not repented of their, uh, the fact that they are a sinner and that they need God. They've never trusted him as their savior and thus they are still wicked. And if they die without Jesus Christ, they'll spend eternity in hell. You say, preacher, can, where do you see that? Jesus said. The parable ceases, I believe it's at verse uh, verse number 47 or so, wherever, wherever the break is. And he begins to apply it. And he says, the wicked shall be cast into, into the fire and there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I was in Bible college, I did a study on four views of hell. There's a book called Four Views of Hell. There's a view of hell that's called annihilation, which means that when they're cast into the fire, they burn up instantly. There's a view of hell that is, that is purgatory. Catholic theology teaches purgatory, which means there's a purging. You go through purgatory before you get to heaven. That's nowhere found in the Bible. Annihilation is nowhere found in the Bible. And then there's a view that actually Billy Graham took at the end of his life called metaphorical, meaning this, that it's not literal flames of hell, but it's, it's a metaphor for the pain of having rejected Jesus Christ. But here's what, I, here's what I'd like to go by, what Jesus said. And Jesus said that the rich man that died in his sin lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torment. Friend, listen, Jesus preached and the whole Bible verifies a literal place of flames called hell that later becomes a lake of fire. And it's a place where you would burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever without God. There's a way to be saved in only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you miss Jesus, you'll go to hell. If you don't understand who he is, if you say, well, I think he's a good teacher, but so are other people. Listen, I'm telling you, we're not talking about a teacher here. We're talking about a savior. And you need to be forgiven of your sin. So I, I believe it's important today that you stop and consider have you been born into God's family? Have you been saved? Have you repented and placed faith in Jesus Christ and thus been born into his family? You need to know that. Amen. It'd be sad to be in this church service and miss heaven. The net's going to be drawn someday, friend, and brought in. 
There's only two classes of people, the wicked and the righteous. Which one are you in? He gives another parable. He talks about a scribe. He says, uh, in fact, let's look back at it. In fact, the, the first lead into it, he says, have you understood these things? And they said, yea, Lord. Now, how many of you think the disciples really understood all those things? I given, I given their track record, I'd have to say, you know, if they knew it, they didn't always apply it. Look back at the verse in verse number 52. Therefore, he says, this is a, the final parable he gives. Therefore, he said unto them, Every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So he asked them the question, have you understood these things? Yes, Lord. Well, then every man that's a scribe, okay, now what's a scribe? Well, a scribe, uh, of course, we know the scribes and the Pharisees. This is a different, by the way, this is not a special class of Christians. Okay. Um, Ezra was a scribe. The Bible calls him a ready scribe. Ezra chapter 7, meaning that he studied the Old Testament and he understood it. And then he tried to teach it. All right, now, now hang with me here. Is it too early to think? Gracious, it's nearly noon. Jesus says, have you understood these things? He's speaking to his disciples, right? If you're one of his disciples and you've understood these things, then here's what you're like. You're like a scribe. You say, I'm not a scribe. I'm not a scholar. Okay, we'll use that term. Maybe that's what we would recognize. A scholar. You know, by the way, don't let anybody make you feel like you can't understand the Bible. Just because they have all these degrees behind their name and they work in a cemetery, I mean a seminary, or, or because, they, uh, they, because they've written so many books, don't let them, and because they speak Hebrew and, and Greek and Aramaic, and, and so don't, don't let them make you think that you can't understand the Bible because Jesus says every man, every person that understands these things is a scribe that's been instructed in the kingdom of heaven. So you're in that group that can be considered a scribe. Now, don't start acting like one of those scholars. No, 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 no. But he says, listen, every man that's a scribe, every individual that's a scribe that has been instructed in the kingdom of God, like we have been over the last five sermons, we've been instructed in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. We've been instructed in these things. We understand these things. Oh, mercy. We understand these things and we understand the pivotal point at which they were given. In fact, we're at the very hinge of the New Testament between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus is saying, if you've understood these things, then you understand the new and you understand the old. And thus, listen to this, you have a treasure to draw out of, of both new and old. Well, treasure is like a treasure box or a storehouse. Or, uh, sometimes the word treasure literally means the gold itself. But in this case, he's got, he's got treasure. He draws out, he brings out. Let me look at the text again. Would you look at it with me? He brings out of his treasure. Is that what it says? Is the word bring? He bring, yeah, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new. Isn't that what it says? New and old. Okay. So new and old, things that are old and then things that are new.
the Pharisees and scribes that weren't the Jesus kind of scribes, they rejected the new because they were hanging on to the old. The old covenant. The Jewish faith. The Jewish ways. That's where our jewels are. And they tossed aside, whoa, the chief cornerstone. Ben Shapiro's a highly intelligent Jew. Sometimes maybe you hear him on the radio or you see, see him in a, in a news interview. I, I've seen him handle some things that were just masterful. But he says about the Jewish way of life, he says this. In fact, I've got his quote here. Let me just go ahead and quote it so I don't mis, misquote it. But here's, here's what he says about, about things re, regarding the New Testament. He says this. My own view of Jesus as is Judaism's is that God does not take human form. It makes more sense to me that you take responsibility for your own sins. In Judaism, you're constantly atoning for your own sins. How sad. How sad. But the only reason I mention that, he says, I'm more work-based. Christianity is grace-based. But, but what I'm saying here is this. Here's what he's saying. I'm hanging on to the old because I don't value the new. Jesus says, listen, as my disciples and you've been instructed and you're seeing the connection between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Covenant. Hey, you're like a householder that has old jewels that are very valuable, but you've also got new jewels that are very valuable and you're enriched by both. We are so blessed, church, to have both the Old Testament and the New Testament because we find nuggets and gold and jewels in the old, but we're also finding great price, great uh, pearl of great price, in fact. We find great jewels, great treasure in the new. Is this making sense to you? Do you understand these things? If you understand these things, then you're a scribe who has access to both. Okay, I thought about it a couple of different angles. I thought about it this way that say somebody says, you know, I just strictly deal in cash. Some of you rarely have cash on you, right? But some of you, you know, would say, I just strictly deal in cash or I might write a check every now and then. I'm not getting into those newfangled, those newfangled things, those debit cards and that's got a chip in it. That's a mark of the beast. And I don't know, it may be, but anyways, don't mess up the illustration right here. I'm not getting into those newfangled things. I'm just going with cash in a, in a can in the freezer. Well, it's got value right there. But look, watch this now. But if you've got cash in the bank, let's say you got cash in the bank, you can go to the ATM today and draw out $100. Or the new thing is that you do have this chip card and you'll use it at the, at the gas pump and you can even tap it if you don't want to do more than that. And you just tap it or insert it. Make sure you have the chip there and maybe it'll work. But anyways, you're, you'll be there and it'll, it'll draw money out of your account. And listen, whether you use cash or you use this, it's actually coming from the same account. This is new, the cash is old, but both have the same value. What I'm trying to illustrate is this, when Jesus is talking about the old, he's talking about the Old Testament, and when he's talking about the new, he's talking about the New Testament, but it's both out of the same account. The account of heaven that has enriched all of our lives. I did a wedding on uh, Friday. And uh, just like Angie's ring, I noticed that the ring that Brother Andrew had for Mackenzie, as uh, he was giving it to her, 
it was a wrap. As he had given her the engagement ring, it had the, the uh, diamond on there, but then the wedding band comes alongside of it. And do you want to show them yours? That really helped. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the two come together and it completes it. You know, you, know what I, you know what I did not see Miss McKenzie do? I didn't see her take off her engagement ring. Don't need that anymore to receive the wedding ring. No, the two go together. In fact, oftentimes they're soldered together. Illustrating here this morning that that Old and New Testament comes together and it complements one another. In fact, the new is the fulfillment of the old. What has been there in the, new, in the old has now been revealed in the new. In my office, if I took you there today, I've got a lot of things in the office that are very symbolic and you may think me weird, I don't know, but it just helps me. It's just, anyways, it's just what it is. But one of those is that right now as a, as a building, a library, I go book by book as I'm studying through the Bible. And, and, and so, but right now I, I've got, you know, commentary sets that's all together, but then just individual books on say the book of Matthew or, or, you know, as I'm about to retire, I've got a certain shelf that I'm taking Philippians off and I'm going to put it back on this shelf. But here's how I have it. I have the Old Testament has two shelves of just individual books and the New Testament has two shelves. But I have the, old, the New Testament on top of the Old Testament symbolizing that the New Testament is built on the Old. Not the other way around. You say, I think if it was my office, then I'd, I'd probably put the Old Testament up top and then the Old New Testament would be on the bottom. Well, you can do that, but I didn't. <laughs> but I'm telling you what it is. It's a treasure. Let me, let me throw this in here and then we'll, we'll have to move on. God's new never contradicts his old in character or in holiness. But we're living in a day and time when many are trying to push out the old, push out the old Bible, the King James, push out the old hymns, and we want to get the new. Well, what they're calling new would not jive with what Jesus has been saying here because in its character, in terms of its integrity or in terms of its orientation, in terms of like the new music that's just rocking out, are you following what I'm saying? In terms of the new, some would say, well, you need to get rid of the old so you can get the new. Well, wait a minute. God never does anything that violates the principle and the truth of holiness. That which is old works with that which is new. Both of them are holy. So... We can't go that direction. Okay, now that's totally a side note and a sub-application to what the real application is. The real application is this. If you've been saved and you understand that the kingdom of heaven and even the, the literal kingdom is, is still to come, the thousand year reign of Jesus, and you understand that right now we're in a time when, in the, when Baptist churches are on the earth and trying to reach people and trying to bring people to Christ, and you understand that that's different than the Old Testament and that we're not Israel, there's a distinction here, then listen, you have a treasure, both old and new. But if you miss who Jesus is, you've missed out on the value that he wants to bring to your life. 
Hang on, wait a minute. I, 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 can't, I can't move on here before I make sure everybody's getting this because you're not just here to attend church. Remember, that we, we established that way early in the message because, listen, he wants to enrich your life with the Bible. But if you are not enriching your life by being in the Bible and really tuning in when he, his word is preached or taught in Sunday school and such, then, then you're probably finding value somewhere else. And I'm telling you, wherever else you're finding value, it doesn't even compare with the treasure that's in what Jesus has given us in, in his word. So are you a householder that has treasure of old and new? Or are you just kind of getting through life valuing what you value? The final section. He came to his own hometown. And they were amazed. They said, how does he, pre how does he speak like that? How does he know those things? How, uh, how, does he, uh, how does he do those work? I mean, isn't his dad, Joseph, and evidently Joseph may have even passed on at this point. We don't know, but isn't this the carpenter's son? Didn't we see him? I mean, back when he was a teenager, don't you remember him working on a plow? Or don't you remember him working on, a, on, on that table? Don't you remember him being a carpenter right side of his dad? And don't we know that his mother is named Mary? And don't we know that he's got a brother named Joseph and a brother named Jude, Jude, Jude Judas? <laughs> he's got a brother, you know, named Simon. Don't we know evidently Joseph and Mary had other children? Even though Catholic theology teaches that they didn't, Jesus knew that they did. And doesn't he have sisters too? They were so familiar with him that they missed who he was. Oh, they thought they knew him. They thought they knew how significant he was in that little town of Nazareth. They thought they knew a lot about him. But here was the problem. Familiarity had bred contempt. And there's a danger today that even while you're in church, you can be so familiar with these things. Man, I've sung great is thy faithfulness. I don't know how many times, but have you stopped and thought about how great his faithfulness is, friend? And have you thought about how faithful he's been in your life? Uh, or have you just kind of gotten getting through another service here today? There's a danger that you could grow up in church and miss who Jesus is. And if you miss who Jesus is in all three of these accounts, if you miss who he is, you're really missing out on what he has for you in life. Amen. Please don't go through another service saying, I've heard all that before. Please don't, and I, I'm not accusing anybody, but I'm just saying all of us ought to take heed right here because we could think, yeah, I know a lot about Jesus. <laughs> you know a lot about him. Not enough. How about you get to know him in all of his glory? Not one among us here knows everything about Jesus that really we ought to know or if we're in our right mind that we'd want to know. But if you get a hunger today and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with being part of the crowd. I want to be his disciple. And you begin to really follow him and you don't dismiss his significance in your life and say, yeah, come on, preacher, I'm getting to lunch. It's noon. Did you see that? It just turned noon. What are we having for lunch today? Hey, it doesn't matter what we're having lunch today. What really matters is who Jesus is.
Now, I don't, I, I mean, I'm interested in lunch too. I, you don't think me, I'm that spiritual. I'm just simply saying that, listen, really and truly what matters most in this life is who Jesus is and you knowing him. Because if you miss who he is in salvation, that has eternal consequences. If you miss who he is in life and even you're saved, but you're not really one of his disciples, then you're not drawing from all the wealth that he has available to you today. And if you just kind of get bored with Jesus and you're going through the motions of church entity, then you're missing being his disciple. And today's the day that you need to leave, live being the crowd. And you need to really buy into this and really be one of his disciples and stop messing around and get to know Jesus. Wow. Don't miss who he is. Trust who he is and get to know him deeply. Let's stand together here today. I wish there was a button here on this pulpit where we could push that would just make it automatic that every one of us would make sure that we're his disciple. But if that were the case, that button would be wore out. <laughs> Here's why. It's based on choices. Every time we're confronted with truth about the Lord and about ourselves, we're at a major crossroads. Some of you today are right now at a major crossroads. It could be you've been in your church all your life and yet not saved. I urge you today to trust Jesus as your Savior. Some of you have been in church all your life, but you're not really one of his disciples. You're just attending. How about you really get in? I wish I could just go pew by pew, person by person to say, listen, are you in the crowd or are you a disciple? But I don't need to do that. The Holy Spirit of God does. There's great treasure. There's great treasure in following him. Say, I've heard all this before. You sound like you're from Nazareth. He's greater than you think he is. Father, today I pray that you'd help us in this invitation. Help us not to grow complacent, satisfied with status quo. Dear God, I don't want that as a preacher. I don't want that as a Christian. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, dear Lord, today to really desire a relationship with you. I pray for any here today that's not saved. I pray that they'd understand the judgment day is coming. I pray that, that their lack of righteousness would cause them to cry out to you for salvation. And you, you promised in your word that whosoever shall call upon you shall be saved. And I pray that today would be the case. And I pray God, uh, Lord, for those that are saved, but they need to become your disciple. I pray you'd help them to make that choice today in Jesus name. Amen. We're singing page 272. God has spoke to your heart. Would you come?